everybody, and welcome to the Penalty Loop Podcast, a podcast about biathlon by Jordan Gottschalk from Penalty Loop and a regular guest, RJ Weiss from Biathlon Analytics. Hey, RJ, back for part two. Yes, uh, I hope uh, everybody really enjoyed part one of our interview with Matthias Arndt, like we did. Email us at penaltylooppodcast at gmail.com or connect with us on Twitter if you have any questions. Mm-hmm. Now let's go right into it. All right. Enjoy. Well, you couldn't have made a better bridge to the next topic. <laughs> it was like you read the script. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we do uh, want to talk a little bit more about the analytics. And uh, as as we've started to, to interview uh, other people in the biathlon world, I'm quite frankly a bit surprised. Um how little interest or experience or or activity there is in the analytics world, um, especially I, I I can't quite remember how we got connected. I think there was a general email that I sent to uh, like info at Biathlon Canada that finally made its way to you, and then I think I was right. in Camor at some point and just knocked on your door and just yeah. wanted to say hi. And yeah. like you said, I've I've uh, been helping you a little bit with some uh, some data at the uh, youth and junior world championships and, and just some, right. uh, general analysis, but, um, what do you, um, so, so I know of you that you're interested and, and see value in it, but can you maybe talk a little bit more about, uh, analytics in biathlon and maybe why it's not really picked up or is it just that teams are doing it, but they're secretive about it or. I think the, there's probably both happening. One thing is, uh, I believe, and I mean, you have more knowledge in the way of the technology behind it to uh, gain <clears throat> all the, the statistical information. But just looking at um, uh, the information provided by the IBU uh, during a race and after the race is, uh, I think, a, a very good uh, base of yeah. statistics to really look at where the performance came from or where it was lost. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, when we look at biathlon performance, of course, uh, there is first and foremost uh, the, the, the two elements of ski speed. Uh, and then the other one is uh, the shooting accuracy, so how many targets are being hit or missed. Yeah. And then uh, a third factor, which is um, important, but uh, only important as long as the shooting accuracy is there. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, is the is the the shooting time yeah. and range time, and you actually uh, did a very nice graph um, a couple of years ago with uh, showing that there is sort of the golden <laughs> area of uh, accuracy matching the shooting speed, and mm-hmm. uh, sometimes certain athletes or team might go too far in one direction and then uh, might gain some seconds in, in shooting time but lose really the accuracy yeah. or some teams don't have both and of course are on the other side of the spectrum. So I guess there is um, so and, and those kind of things are important to, to really uh, uh, I think this only has come within now the last 10 years that there have has been a bit more research Biathlon did not see a lot of research papers, maybe because it it has been, a, well, in many countries, a small sport. Uh, now there is more research uh, out of Sweden, out of Norway. Germany always has been quite strong in research. And uh, so it's it's starting that we get more biathlon-specific statistics and, and, and research happening. And uh, for me, it's just, uh, yeah, uh, it was not enough just to look at the results and and even so there are detailed results, but really to look at the trends mm-hmm. uh, because one race might not show a good picture yet for mm-hmm. an individual athlete or a team. Right, right. And so coming to how I got started a little bit uh, is actually – Scott Gow and, okay. and Brendan Green. It was one season where those two athletes, they were sort of going back and forth a bit between the IBU Cup and the World Cup. And uh, so they really wanted to see 
what is um, the difference of the performance level between um, someone on uh, competing on the World Cup and someone on the IBU Cup? And they started just on, on a simple Excel sheet to take all the athletes they knew who were competing that season uh, between the two circuits and, and created sort of a statistic on um, how they were performing and what the performance difference was when they were on the IBU Cup versus the, the World Cup. And um, in general, I would say it was, let's say, about three, three plus percent uh, that athletes were performing less on the World Cup than on the IBU Cup. And that okay. sort of got me started huh. uh, to, to look into that, how this could really be more looked at into in, in the way of a, a bit of a research project. And, and at that time, within our Biofarm family, there was um, actually a, a Russian statistician uh, who was following the team. She was on the World Cup all the time and, and uh, doing analytics for the Russian team. And um, she had all this data, but it seemed like the coaches were not so interested within hmm. her team. But we had a lot of exchange. And I got her, like I, I did with you, RJ, yeah. I, I gave her little ideas. Could you look into this? And she would go at night, she would go and, and plug it into the computer and come out with something. And then I would say, yes, that's interesting. And let's look deeper or let's uh, look at this and that. And that's how it really started. And then we got uh, Marco Laxonen from uh, the Mid-Sweden University involved and and um, did actually a, um, a paper on comparison IBU Cup to World Cup. Mm -hmm. uh, and the idea was to have a bit of a baseline uh, when to decide uh, an athlete is actually ready to go to the World Cup. And right. if we had someone in the World Cup and who maybe didn't perform to a World Cup uh, level, when to say, okay, it might be better now to, to move to the IBU Cup. That was sort of the, the initial start of um, the idea of this paper. And uh, yeah, it was a, a really interesting project. And since then, there have been several papers in that direction by different um, authors. And, um, and then also, yeah, I really appreciate uh, the work we have been doing together uh, more on the on the union use side um, uh, because I find okay we can get a lot of information on on the World Cup and and even IBU Cup level but it's a bit more limited and also a little bit more chaotic on yeah. the junior side because the performances are not as well established. Right. Like mm -hmm. on the World Cup level, you can say nowadays you know someone has to shoot ninety two percent to be really podium uh able to make the podium yeah. uh mm -hmm. versus on the junior level you know you can still have athletes with 70 percent shooting and and might be able to make the podium right uh, but those kind of things are interesting to to see where are the the developing athletes at what level are they and um where are we as a as a nation canada compared to other nations and and then to really uh, saying okay where do we have to focus on to to work mm -hmm. and the, the, it's interesting you know that the past uh, few years now there was a really big push towards ski speed which is totally f uh fair mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, ski speed is a very important factor and we know that it's about 60 percent of the performance in the sprint yeah. but now the most recent paper is coming out on on for example mass start and pursuit races it's a, it's a little different. There is actually mm -hmm. the shooting accuracy uh, a much higher value than than uh, first assumed. So, uh, and 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 I yeah, if if not this this analytic work would be done and looked at, I think we we would lose some aspects of of what we could do in training. Yeah, and I I, I like that you're saying aspect because uh, I. I just recently uh, posted an article on my blog where I just wanted to emphasize that I 
you know, analytics is never seen as a replacement for, you know, expertise of coaches and, and their, their knowledge and experiences and everything. It's just an additional view or looking right. at a different perspective, right? That, that you know, yeah. in many cases probably confirms what they already know, but maybe also in some cases just highlight a, an aspect that they didn't really look at. So, yeah. And even a, a confirmation is just important. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, like you were saying, I, I find it interesting that you can, um, so you could compare the, the the golden zone, so to speak, between IBU Cup, World Cup and junior level, but you can also within the World Cup, you can see if that, that golden zone has changed over the last 10 years, for example. Exactly, yeah. Right, so it's, uh, yeah, totally. yeah, it's quite fascinating, but of, of yeah. course, I'm a little bit biased, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah, but it's, uh, that makes this sport also so interesting. The, yeah. These components, uh, because yeah, um, you know, as we said, ski speed is important. Uh, shooting accuracy is for sure the next uh, most important, and the ski speed again too is only uh, to that level of importance as long as the shooting accuracy is at a right. very high level. Yeah. And uh, because I would say that almost for the junior level, you know, they have to be at a decent ski speed, no, no, no question. But if they are not, uh, if the shooting is still, you know, seventy percent um, or lower, then ski speed doesn't doesn't mean a lot. Yeah. yeah. And the shooting yeah. speed for sure becomes a, a interesting element um, when when we look at. Uh, on, on the highest level of competition, um, you know, to, to get the, the really last bit out of uh, the performance, especially, let's say, in team events like relays, okay. uh, where, where, again, it's a totally different ballgame because uh, with, with the spares you have, you can take more risk. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. um, with that, too, uh, how fast you can get a, a spare round in and all that has to be trained. And if it's done well, then, uh, yeah. So... Yeah, it's fascinating. No, I'm very happy to hear that, of course. But uh, yeah, (laughs) and and so at the uh, the level that you're training, so with the Alberta uh, development team, I mean, obviously there's probably less data tracking during races, etc. But do you use any data uh, for them other than the World Championships, for example? Yeah. So. what the the data, for example, being used right now would be in the way of training, um, keeping track of their shooting uh, percentages, hmm. and uh, mainly under intensity or racing. So, right. um, for me, any we haven't really well, we have done now one intensity workout with shooting, but it's just about starting here slowly. Uh, so every every. Um, uh, intensity workout, uh, keeping track of their shooting, and then uh, during the race season, then of course keeping track of that as well, and then comparing it. Right. And I always say to the athletes, if you cannot shoot at a certain percentage in the summer, you will not shoot it in the winter either. Right. right. Um, because there are sometimes they think, okay, yeah, it's okay, I'm shooting here, but I will shoot better in the winter. It's not the case. <laughs> yeah. Um, most often it's, it's even the other way around. So, um, that real is real quick. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt, but real quick, do you mind, uh, kind of give us an example of what an intensity workout with shooting would, uh, would entail kind of what that looks like on the ground? Okay. Yeah. So a very common one would be sort of replicating a little bit the, um, winter environment of, let's say a three point or 2.5 K loop, let's say. Mm-hmm. And uh, we will do four four times this loop um, with shooting, and um, but we would do um, it could be let's say four times eight minute uh, mm-hmm. uh, interval, and then uh, after each eight minute, um, it's um, it's a shooting bout, and then a, a two minute recovery. And then going mm-hmm. out again, hmm. so that could be uh, a type of a workout, where okay. it's very similar to to the winter 
uh, time uh, of, of, of uh, let's say, uh, a certain distance and simulating that a little bit. Hmm. And uh, at this time of the year, when we start with it, we are sort of building into it. We start into what we call a zone three. So that's be below the uh, anaerobic threshold. And then we build into the threshold area. And then we mm-hmm. go above this threshold area by by uh, lap number two, three. And then the last lap will be done in uh, full effort, uh, like they would do after their last shooting, um, for example. And so that mm-hmm. could be a typical one of the, the workouts. And, uh, so and of when... course, that's done on roller skis. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also do it uh, when when conditions are um, in the fall, when when let's say there's a little bit of sleet, or it could be done ski striding, uh, mm-hmm. coming up towards the shooting range just to get that that physical uh, mm-hmm. load. Um, and and the the other aspect of there's the the physical side of of doing intervals, but there's also of course the the whole range procedure in the way of uh, the setup, uh, mm-hmm. the approach, the setup, and the exit of uh, from shooting, and then uh, in the way of uh, the physical element, we we just did that actually yesterday. Uh, I I filmed them that they can see themselves uh, whether that's all efficient um, or it uh, it it is also of course a mental uh, psychological element in it how you approach you where do you do the switch from skiing to shooting and mm-hmm. how do you do the switch and then uh, that is sort of you know before range entry into range entry then uh, getting to the lane and then leaving the lane again yeah. very important elements and and again which have to be automized and and also have to be sort of um, rehearsed so that it becomes yeah um, efficient at the same time, also to how to deal with distractions, whether that's a competitor mm-hmm. next to you, whether that is the crowd um, <laughs> in Europe uh, yelling yeah. and uh, yeah, yeah. all that. Yeah, and I, I, I find fascinating the, uh, as some listeners know, I, I'd only started doing biathlon myself about a year ago and the difference between standing shooting and prone shooting, just the mindset Right, it's just very different. Like I'm, like I said, I'm just learning uh, yeah, a little yeah. bit about that. But uh, that really surprised me. I always assumed that you know, from a mental perspective, that would be the same. But it seems very different. Yeah, yeah. No, it is. Uh, it can be a difference too in the way of how you approach it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> from a uh, physical load, or right. maybe yeah. some athletes actually ease off a little bit more when they come into standing. Okay, uh, sorry, Jordan. Mentioned- can I just one uh, one more question, please? Um, do you track and use their heart rate data at all? Like, do you line that up with with their sh- when they're shooting? Uh, just more to to see, uh, not on a daily basis, but uh, there is a system, a Norwegian system, where um, uh, you can actually by range entry. It, it works on on Bluetooth. And with the heart rate monitor, so I, I can look on on my um, iPad and 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 see actually with what heart rate they come in, with heart what heart rate they're shooting and and leave again. Okay. Uh, so it's it's just mainly verifying where they are, a little bit, but it's it, it wouldn't be on a daily basis. It's but that te- technology is there. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. The question I was going to ask was actually very similar, and it was going to go back to you mentioned going into zone four, five, zone three, zone two, zone one. Right. And are you uh, basing that based off of the heart rate level that they're getting into, or is that just based off of their own report of kind of where they feel like they where they are in their effort level? So there is uh, different ways we look at it. Uh, one is first that it has to be sort of tested where those levels are for the individual athlete. Uh, for example, next week we have a treadmill test here in Kenmore on a roller ski treadmill where they they go start really easy and then ramp it up all the way to threshold. And um, they get, um, and it's sort of five-minute increments, and they get the lactate tested and have the heart rate uh, monitored during that time. And then with the calculation of the lactate uh, curve, uh, you get the different uh, sort of, intensity zones 
for their individual training. That's one thing uh, to make it um, fairly accurate and to give the, the athletes feedback. Uh, and then the athlete should go by those zones, how they train. Obviously, mm-hmm. there is adaptations from skiing uh, to running to biking. Uh, there's a right. little difference in, in w- if you want to base it on the heart rates. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but what I like is that they um, get some education or, or a feeling for lactate. And that is that quite often in, in uh, workouts, and that could be a zone one long distance aerobic workout to check where their lactate level is to give them the feedback so that they know, okay, yeah, I'm really in a sub um, range of, of below one, one millimole, let's say, and then to give them feedback, especially if they're in that below threshold area, let's say three mm-hmm. millimole. Uh, if they're above and higher, it's it's not so crucial because yeah, they're <laughs> unless we really want to 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 target the area just above threshold, so that five millimole area, five to six. But yeah, to 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 do the testing then, uh, sort of field testing, to give them the feedback, and then hopefully over time they learn to uh, to feel right. their their level, so that they don't have to constantly look at their watch. Okay. Uh, so to feel more their body where they are. And what was the other mm-hmm. aspect? Oh, yeah. The other aspect, what I like my athletes to to always determine, and I mainly ask them that uh, in intensity workouts, that's the, the rate of perceived exhaustion. And there's the Björk scale, which is uh, 1 to 20, but I'm using a bit more uh, modified uh, 1 to 10, where I say 1 is really easy they could chat and not pay attention and and run uh or roller ski and then 10 is pretty much uh it's the limit it's um the hardest you can go mm-hmm. uh and to rate that and and um and then the the time duration in those intensity zones uh with that rpe is then really determining the load on, on the athletes, which then gives me more feedback on, on where they are and how they perceive that training. Um, for example, today we did, we did uh, some 30-30 intervals and uh, there were 12 of them. And at the end, you know, the rating is usually 8, 9 uh, in that scale. And mm-hmm. uh, so pretty much almost a yeah, full effort. Hmm. <laughs> when you were saying we're building it up until they they can't go any longer i was thinking yeah it would probably last five minutes and you're like yeah we bump it up every five minutes <laughs> yeah it's, uh... um did you have any more questions uh before we move on no i i apologize i know i jumped in when you guys were were getting deep into the statistics and i apologize but uh, no no yeah no it's uh yeah, I, I I've liked that with many other sports before, just the, the the sort of research aspect of it, and and like I said, using the complementary views that data can provide. So it's uh, yeah, it's very interesting. Well, it? This is also how I saw myself as an athlete. I, I was, and maybe that's why I wasn't that successful, um, especially going coming like after I, I moved from juniors into seniors. Uh, because I was not so much result-oriented uh, than really oriented to the physiological impact and what I could do. Mm-hmm. So more the interest on, on what what I, if I do this in this intensity or that activity, what is it doing to my body and how is it affecting me versus, okay. you know, uh, I have to beat um, this other athlete or, or make this result. Uh, I, I never was that way. For me, it was the... Uh, beating yourself almost. natural high of the movement and and the the exhaustion or the training mm-hmm. um and the skill development versus the it was the process versus the results yeah yeah, yeah. so uh these are just the kind of questions that we like to ask everybody um you know just to, to like i said just have some fun and just kind of give uh give our guests just kind of a, a little uh so a little uh, flavor of, of who you are. Um, but 
so uh, let's jump right in. So let's assume that uh, uh, there was a, a gigantic snowstorm uh, where you're at uh, an IBU event location um, and you're you're stuck. You can't you can't go in there, um, but uh, you still get to enjoy the area. So you, you can't leave. You're just kind of stuck there in the in the in the surrounding area. Where would you want to be stuck? Ubertilia, <laughs> because I was stuck there and it was awesome. <laughs> 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 yeah, reality is it that way. There was actually an IBU cup, and and um, there were some ass like there's a, a a little pass, and that was closed. And uh-huh. it, I mean, it was amazing snowfall. I can't remember, but uh, several meters. And uh, there were teams on the other side of that pass, and they actually could not come across for several days. And I can't uh-huh. remember now whether they even maybe missed the first event. Um, or whether they they managed, but definitely several days of training, they could not come over to to the the biathlon site, and uh, we were mm-hmm. on the Obertilia and the village site there, and we were fine. We could just <laughs> ski down to it. Was that <laughs> it? Was unbelievable that snowfall. Is that in Italy or or Austria? That is uh, 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 Eastern Tyrolia, so it's it's Austria. Okay, but it it, it borders to. Um, Dobiaco, uh, Italy, like it's it's very close. The border uh-huh. is fifty kilometers okay. away. Oh, that's yeah. I don't think we've we've had an actual experience like that uh, no. before. So that's, we, we just sort of made the question up. We didn't know it was a real thing that had happened. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it's all. I mean, for for athletes, coaches, for everyone, it, it's fun uh, to be stuck in a in a <laughs> in a mountain village. Uh, there's something special to it, and yeah. Yeah. it also calms everything down. And uh, yeah. So, what did you guys do to pass the time? Uh, <laughs> there were snowball fights and and uh, <laughs> jumping into the snow. Uh, you know, oh so, yeah, yeah. Because it was incredible. I, <laughs> I, yeah. Oh, I, the, like the, yeah, the listeners can't see your face, but uh, I can tell you have good <laughs> memories. <laughs> yeah, the, the gleam in the yeah. eye. Yeah, absolutely. And it's um, not uncommon there. It's very, um, I, I know of it now twice that uh, myself, that we had really big snowstorm there. Okay. Huh. Um, when we when we ask about a favorite track, what's the first one that, that uh, comes to mind for you? Oh, there's of course many nice ones, but uh, uh, let's see. Pokaluka is for sure. Mm. Uh, now, if I if I think about uh, World Cup tracks, Pokaluka is is a really fun one and um, challenging one. Now it changed a little bit after World Championships, but uh, still, it's that one. I would say. Uh, have to go through it the different World Cup places. Uh, what's always a big challenge I find is Östersund. Um, actually, as a season opener, having the most difficult track mm. on the World Cup, mm. uh, and that to have that at the beginning of the season, <laughs> that's really eye opener and um, a tough one. Um, Especially when you get blown away by Oberg. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Swedish team being based there, they for sure have a home advantage uh, on that course. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. But I think for the rest of uh, all the other teams, uh, that's uh, definitely a very tough season opener. Yeah. And then the opposite question is there is there a track where you would be happy if you never have to go there again? Uh, Sochi. Sochi, yeah. uh, <laughs> and uh, for the reason of that it was poorly designed in my eyes yeah. of, uh, that half of the course was uphill half of the course was downhill so not a very uh, undulating terrain uh, yeah. variety it was a very hard course uh, but not really I wouldn't say a natural feeling course. It was very okay. artificial. And, and that mm-hmm. I would say in general, courses or venues where it's very artificially created, um, uh, it's not the same as, as courses which are 
maybe developed earlier and just got widened for nowadays mm -hmm. events, but mm -hmm. we yeah. are still sort of on a on a challenging um, alternating course profile. I think those are are the best. Yeah. Yeah, I must say, I'm curious how you feel about these uh, these sections that you see in races where they just have to put them in to have a bit more distance where, you know, they ski one way, they do a hairpin, and then mm -hmm. they ski the other way back. Mm -hmm. It always right. kind of find yeah, it a little yeah. bit annoying. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, I really like Antolz, Antisalva uh, as well. Mm -hmm. um, it's a really rolling, more rolling course, but being at a fairly high altitude, um, it makes it challenging that way yeah. and um but that's also a really nice uh skiable course nice one of the things that we uh we rj and i uh, have talked about a lot um and uh you even sort of mentioned this this a little bit as well but is uh this this sort of idea of the the biathlon family um and how you know biathlon is is really a a, a sport where um, everyone is really, uh, friendly with each other and kind of gets along, uh, you know, really well. And, and I was saying, you sort of mentioned this with, um, you know, talking about how, uh, you know, the, the country's trying to, you know, help out the, the developing biathlon nations. And especially, you know, you talked about the Norwegians being really interested in that. So, um, what, what do you think, uh, why do you think that that sort of, uh, that feeling of the biathlon family exists? Where does that originate? Where does it come from? And, and how does it uh, persist uh, through, all, through all this time? Actually, I think where it really started and where it's being maintained is the biathlon range. Because uh, huh. you know, if you look at cross-country races or mountain bike race or whatever, usually coaches are somewhere on course. They, they, they are within themselves. Um, but in, in a biathlon event, the, the co well, at least the, the, the shooting coaches, they're on the range. Mm -hmm. And so there is, uh, they're very close together. There is um, a, a great atmosphere in the way of, well, you, when you get there, you greet each other. Uh, you have little talks, for example, when there's paper change, um, uh, coaches quickly have a, a bit of a talk and and then there's really a, an amazing atmosphere when when a when a athlete or a nation did well uh, congratulating each other I've, I've never seen it in, in such an extent and and uh, so I think that is where it's it originally started and where most of it is happening and uh, but yeah you also did the good um, job in in the way of um, uh, whether there is usually in every world cup um, destination there is a, a get together organized by the organizing committee where coaches uh, officials and uh, vips and and um, are and ibu uh, representatives are invited and then uh, that gives a, um, a fun social atmosphere again mm -hmm. to to network, I mean, there's the fun part, good, good food, um, <laughs> good company, and but also the opportunities to network, and you know, um, it a lot of course depends on, on 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 the people themselves, how outgoing and how interested they are to to mingle or to 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 know each other better. But if I look back, I had such a good relationship with the French team that. <laughs> Huh. I was invited um, always to their fondue, and that every World Cup uh, location, they make fondue in the wax truck. Oh. <laughs> that is it's sort of their tradition because they're sponsored by a, by a, a, a cheese company, <laughs> and uh, being provided with the with the, the the fondue cheese, and then they, of course, they always have something to celebrate being yeah. a successful biathlon nation. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I was quite often invited and went there, and then, you know, the the, the, the cheese is being made, uh, you know, turned around uh, waxing iron. Oh. <laughs> I was just going to ask that, yeah. <laughs> and you know, it, it's just, I mean, the fondue is just, uh, as you know, it's a very social meal. Yeah. And everybody dips in, and then uh, a lot of talking and, and chatting and. That as an example, but also, you know, this was on the coach's wax technician side. Um, 
the same on the athlete side. Um, thinking Oberhof, we were always staying with uh, in that particular hotel with the French team, and there were every almost every night there was a game night where our mm. athletes got together with the French and and the mm -hmm. Americans were there too, and uh, really good friendships developed that way and. Uh, taking the stress of racing off uh, yeah. a bit, uh, making friendships in the way of that, for example, Anais Biscon, she has been coming to Kenmore several times and, and actually trained with us for several weeks. Um, Swiss uh, biathletes came in a, in a similar way, created through those sort of moments of, yeah, where athletes would get together and, um, and play card games or, or board games. Well, I know we've learned that. Been... Sorry? No, I was going to say, and now we've learned that uh, Baiba Bandika likes setting up a, a training facility in the hotel lobby. <laughs> so so maybe yes. we can uh, start some connection <laughs> <Yeah>. there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. Exactly. Yeah. Really, what we're doing is uh, when uh, we're taking notes that when Arjun and I make it to uh, to one of these uh, one of these weekends, we know you know where we can go for a workout. We'll we'll find Baiba. You know yeah. where we can go for some good food. We'll find the French wax truck and get some <laughs> yeah, fondue. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although when they come to Canmore, they probably won't have their wax truck. But uh, maybe we can provide. No, <laughs> we we can provide it with some. Uh, they still probably bring the cheese. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> or they'll they'll win oh. it. <laughs> yeah <laughs> we'll bring the fondue pot it'll be fine yeah uh um so next question is uh what athlete or coach do you think of if you would want to go have an have a fun night out and have a have a beer and a meal with is there anybody well, I, that jumps to mind <laughs> you know obviously uh having had uh quite a few fondies that the french uh, team was <laughs> Was one I was hanging out quite a bit, and uh, it was mainly Stefan Bautier, and uh, initially also Sigi uh, Marse, uh, but he's now with Norway. But anyway, mm -hmm. uh, at that time, and and um, obviously being uh, originally from Germany and Bavaria, I've uh, quite a few German coaches uh, uh, were. I, I still have contact and, and uh, also during the competitive season, we would uh, get together. Um, then uh, American team, of course, uh, was in general for our team. Also being en English speaking, uh, mm -hmm. the next contact, especially for the athletes, but also with the coaches, uh, Armin Aukenthaler, the head coach now there. He um, being from Südtirol and uh, knowing him, uh already before when he was a coach at the sports school um from that time and then continue on to the world cup so there's a lot of uh yeah different yeah uh, connections with some with some it's just um maybe it's a, a language barrier because they they only speak russian then it's just a you know friendly um greeting uh yeah. when seeing them but uh, with others uh, where it's not such a, a language barrier there's more connection and um yeah where yeah you get together at, at certain times it it's a very stressful environment on on the world cup and it's always you know it's the the moving cir circus yeah um and uh, th there isn't that much time to get together but um but enough to uh, and, uh, to maintain uh, sort of that relationship. But it must have been really hard, I would assume, the last two years with COVID, where yeah, this wasn't yeah. possible. Yeah. I think it was really hard for the athletes uh, that even I know here from our Canadian team that even within the team, not everybody could be together at all times. Mm -hmm. yeah. I know that the... The waxing team was a bit more separated from, let's say, the coaching team, the athletes, and and I'm sure a lot of meetings, even athletes' meeting, happened over Zoom, versus in person, and that all I think take took away a lot in that aspect. And then, uh, especially with other teams, there was no chance to to right. get together or to do something. So, um, I think, and and for me. And I think I can also speak for, for athletes. That's a big part. 
okay. to to be together and uh, and especially for athletes well i would say even coaches uh, you know it's a bit of a stress relief from right. the, the pressure to perform yeah and i i do I, I don't know maybe i'm just focused on it but i do get the impression that by athletes are very respectful of each other and and you know of course they want to win themselves but they're happy for the other people to win where if i compared it to the uh the fis mm-hmm. cross country skiing world championships it's almost like they they can't stand each other which you know i'm sure is very generalized and i'm sure there's good friendships there but it seems um a less friendly environment yeah, you're probably right. I mean, uh, as you said, you know, there's good friendships too among athletes and among coaches. But in general, uh, there's a lot more separation where they don't uh, mingle as much. Uh, they really stay more within their nations and and already on uh, in the coaching on course, they they are more separated in in their um, right. than than what it is in biathlon. Because even in biathlon. You know, there's uh, the shooting coaches, as I said, on the range, but on track as well. There's always yeah. uh, certain locations, the coaching zones, where then uh, coaches are and support team and and talk to each other and and also. But I would say in Nordic in general, um, there is good support by other nations. Uh, if someone breaks a pole, a ski, or you know some yeah. issues another nation jumps in and helps there there is no question yeah that's that's always nice to see that that can still happen in the time of professional mm -hmm. sports Mm -hmm. yeah so uh if you were going to add one special bib so we've got the yellow bib we've got the blue bib so you're going to add another special bib to uh ibu world cup races uh what color would it be and what would it represent well, I like that uh, gray and blue bib that <laughs> <laughs> uh, Susan Dunkley knitted. Yeah, yes. <laughs> uh, the over thirty category. Uh, so that I think that is a really, I mean, of course not the official bib, but a really fun uh, way. Uh, again, you know, for the spirit and and for uh, interaction and 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 um, yeah, seeing. And also showing, showcasing, you know, who are those uh, athletes, um, all the athletes who are still in biathlon and doing well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Otherwise, I, I think uh, bibs are pretty much, I think it's a very well covered in the way yeah. of, you know, the different leaders. And uh, I also like the, 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 young, the young leader uh, bib mm-hmm. now. I think that was a good addition. But I don't think um, anything else uh not in the way of a bib i I mean what can be honored is for sure the highest shooting percentage um maybe overall Mm -hmm. uh, like for females and males or or just Mm -hmm. in general overall uh could be awarded maybe in a certain way or i don't know but not with a bib. Uh, I don't think mm-hmm. with, uh, that would make sense. Maybe more like a Simon Ader reward or something. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I'll say, yeah. Get a little, a little uh, uh, Simon Ader outline on your, uh, <laughs> on your, in the corner of your bib. <laughs> but he, he would kind of have to retire before they would do yeah. that. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be a bit awkward to, uh, to be still racing against him. So. um if you could trade your 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 life your person for one day with an athlete um who would who would you pick and why oh that's a difficult question but um because there's there's many where it would be fun to trade and um (laughs) it'd be nice to be 25 again in the first place right yeah exactly <laughs> but, but of uh, course uh, you know uh, it could be the idea of yeah a very successful one and uh, being there for one day on the podium but that's not really in my eyes um what's important for me uh it would be more i, I you know i don't know whether that's okay. <laughs> i can even think about trading with a with an with an athlete um um 
it's too far away that I was high athlete myself, and right, right. I feel just uh, comfortable in my role. That's and, good. Uh, more like being with with the athlete in moments like for sure, and I I always come back again to Oslo. You know that moment when uh, when we knew okay the bronze medal when Brendan Green came down the straightaway and towards the finish, just that that moment. Um, that maybe is a moment, yeah. I would have yeah, liked to be yeah. with Brendan Green going to the finish. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's actually, amazing. That's it. <laughs> because it, it was, uh, you know, just, um, I mean, obviously, uh, achieving that with a team is, is a highlight. But, but also the atmosphere in the range. Mm-hmm. And again, this is coming back to this family. Like, it's unbelievable the, all the coaches came and congratulated me. They they were so happy for Canada. Yeah, it was. You know, if 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 it would have been one of the the famous biathlon nations, of course there would be congratulations. But this was like a, a, a rush. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Just overwhelming how they were happy and and you know, even so that maybe you know from a nation who. Uh, lost the podium mm-hmm. that they would come and, and be happy for Canada and yeah, uh, no, that was cool. just so incredible yeah. that just had to be an amazing feeling yeah and that being so in Oslo t- was, was the, the topping of course being in, in a place like Holman Colm mm-hmm. where sort of the the, the cradle of uh, Nordic skiing and mm-hmm. biathlon it's uh, uh, it's amazing yeah if you uh, this is a, a, a non-standard question but it just came up um if you had to pick a, the, the best crowd in biathlon i'm guessing it would be one of the german uh events or oslo or is there another uh, there's definitely germany is is huge yeah uh, between root building overhof um it's amazing and and if you ski up a bergsteig even as a coach or a wax technician you cannot go slow. <laughs> so I remember one one year, I was pre I was always pre skiing the cor- the race courses, and um, so I was going up there, and the crowd is already like they're out there three hours before, <laughs> and uh, and they're like really literally everybody's already out there. There's no no free spot, and then. And when you come there, they just cheer you up. You cannot go slow. <laughs> that atmosphere is unbelievable. I've only seen in in Oberhof. Group holding is unbelievable in the way because the um, the ra- uh, the range is so close to the spectator stands. Mm. So in the way of watching and uh, and the atmosphere with the shooting, that's probably the the nicest place in that way, and and very amazing, uh, um, for the athletes and and as coaches too. And then Oslo, for sure, uh, yeah, it's, um, again, there is uh, the, 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 the Norwegians, uh, it's a bit of a different uh, culture. They are out there as families and, and in groups, on, and they have make fires, and they cook something, and they, uh, it's, again, it's a, a family event. It's a, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, in in the for the for the cross country races, they even camp out there. Right. But, right. Uh, yeah, it's a, that's. I would say those those three places. Plus, uh, I I also what I really liked was Novi Mesto. Novi Mesto okay. is probably the biggest oh. crowd. Where from from the the stadium being uh, like almost an amphitheater. Uh, I, I can't remember now the seating it has, but it probably uh, twenty thousand in the in that stadium area, and then the whole course has people as well. And uh, again, and they cheer for everyone. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Really great atmosphere. So, so those places I would say are maybe, yeah, uh, gave the the biggest impression to me. Um, I think we need to skip a few because <laughs> we're already taking so much of your time. So, but I so much it was. Say also, also we hit some of these already. Just uh, in some of the answers to some of the other questions. Okay. How I feel. Yeah. yeah, I feel fine with that. Yeah. Um, you want to just jump down to the bottom? Yeah, sure. Why don't you? Why don't you go from there? Yeah, got it. Um, so, uh, uh, last, I would say, last real big question. Um, 
can you talk a little bit about how uh, and and Scott Gow gave us some background on this, but how the how the Canadian uh, teams are financed and and how that process comes together? Yeah, so um, I mentioned earlier that the challenge in Canada is really uh, one that um, obviously Biathlon is not televised. That's probably mm-hmm. the biggest problem in the way of getting exposure. And if you don't have exposure, it's very hard to get uh, sponsors. So uh, on, on that side, there is really not much um, happening, unfortunately, uh, towards the World Cup and the national team, uh, national team program. Uh, so mainly uh, money is coming from the government. And I must say that I feel not just for biathlon, but I feel that endurance sport is not being um, addressed to the level it has to be. It's not seen or perceived that um, endurance sport takes 10 plus years to get to the top. Mm -hmm. So to give you an example, you know that uh, freestyle skiing, you go down to the X Games uh, as a scout, you look around, you pick a 16-year-old doing whatever, triple, multiple jumps, and you take that person the next year to the Olympics and you make a medal. That is uh, the reality that I think uh, in this country, uh, sports where medals are achieved easy and quick are um, supported more than sports where it takes the grit and the years of work mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to get to the top. And and biathlon, uh, as is cross-country skiing or, or other track and field sports and so on, uh, speed skating, it, it just takes a minimum of 10 years to get to that top. And how to hold the athletes for that long and support them, that's the challenge. Right. And... Uh, Certain countries have advantages because their system uh, has, for example, um, police, army, customs teams. Yeah, yeah. They actually get salaries and uh, so can support themselves after high school, let's say. They join those groups. They are at the national level. They join those groups. I, I had the same benefit initially. And um, and you you do your basic training and then then you're a paid athlete, right. and so then it's also not so crucial. Well, how do I do? I have to work like all my athletes. Uh, they have to work twenty mm-hmm. plus hours a week to sustain their their passion. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is the the biggest challenge uh, we have. Uh, the other challenge I mentioned earlier is that. Yeah, we have uh, immense travel costs, and, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. like for a World Cup team to to go over to Europe to stay there all winter, and uh, it's just huge compared yeah. to what other teams have. Um, so, yeah, those are the challenges. And um, if Canada wants, you know, they, they, there's always the talk. Yeah, uh, uh, the top podium position at the Olympics in the way as a nation can only be achieved when all like most winter sports are actually meddling and, uh, and especially the Nordic sports where you have, mm-hmm. a, you know, 30 medals in biathlon, the same mm-hmm. in cross country, uh, that's 60 medals, uh, or potential, then you also have to invest in it. And I don't think yeah. that investment is there. And, um, yeah, that's, yeah, and I think one one uh, other issue is is uh, it's not hockey, right? Yeah, that's that's where that's it starts. Part, and and mm. yeah, and that is coming back. That unfortunately, even though it's such an interesting sport, it's not televised. Yeah. But interesting wise, I don't know whether you uh, heard those stats, but I've heard that biathlon during the Olympics in North America is sort of a number four viewed sport. Uh, what I've heard, it's sort of uh, between uh, figure skating and uh, is number one. Uh, between curling and ice hockey, it's actually number two, three. Sometimes it's curling, sometimes it's ice yeah, hockey, yeah. and then number four is actually biathlon. So it's quite interesting. So the 
during the Olympics, the interest is there and people yeah. really want it and, and are fascinated. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unfortunately, nothing comes for <laughs> the other four years. Right. So, uh, and that is, yeah, it's too bad because I, I think here, North American audience would also enjoy it and, yeah. um, and would watch it. And so, and, and that I think would help a lot in the way of fi- finding uh, sponsors mm-hmm. towards uh, the teams and athletes. And so for the, the Alberta Development uh, Program, is that then a provincial government uh, that's supporting that, or is that also coming from Biathlon Canada? No, um, well, it's it's a it, there is collaboration. We we are so the Biathlon Alberta Training Center is also a national development center. Okay. And uh, so I would say between eighty to ninety percent uh, of the money is coming from Biathlon Alberta, and the other ten to twenty percent uh, is coming from Biathlon Canada. Okay. Uh, but that only has started now um, that we got more recognized in the way of being really part of the feeder system. Okay. I had just one last question, yep. and I apologize. This is going to be a, another little one that, that might take a bit of an answer. But um, for uh, for for people who are interested in biathlon, especially like the, the youngest athletes interested in getting into it, um, and particularly in, in Canada and the United States, but everywhere, really, what would you recommend they do? You know, how do you recommend you know starting to to get into it? So, my my belief is that uh, biathlon actually should not be started too early. I think uh, okay. um, kids should really first you know do multi sport, uh, and then uh, in, in the winter element they should do uh, cross country skiing. So the skiing first to get sort of a good skill base in skiing, and then the shooting. Uh, I think if it happens sort of at age 15, that's that's early enough. Uh, obviously, some can start earlier and and do, but there there is no problem starting later with it. But having a good ski foundation and a good physical aerobic foundation and and a sort of a multi multi skill level um, is important. And uh, I would say the clubs who really provide uh, everything in-house are maybe um, better in that sense. If I just look here in the Bow Valley, we have two clubs, Calgary and and Canmore here, where they have uh, both integrated and and actually training is happening. Let's say that the cross-country ski side of training is happening within the cross-country group. The cross-country skiers might do a little bit more classic uh, skiing because that's how they, where they compete as well. And the biathletes, of course, have to do their shooting. But overall, it's a bigger group of, of young young uh, athletes uh, that makes better motivation, um, uh, good synergies between the two sports. And then it also um, opens up that someone who might not be such a good classic skier, but a good skater and really interested in shooting goes into biathlon and, and someone who might not shoot as well uh, decides after a few years uh, that biathlon is not for me, but I, I rather race uh, cross country. Right. So I think that's that's the way to go. But to start early on skis and seeing all the early, the skiing just as a fundamental skill like swimming is uh Moving on skis, gliding on skis, whether that's towards downhill skiing, whether it's towards skating, classic skiing, ski touring, uh, yeah. You gave me hope there, Matthias, because you said <laughs> you can still start start shooting at fifty, right? Or did you say fifteen? Yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, okay, we're coming to the end here. Um, is there anybody that? comes to mind that you think would be a good person to talk to in the future for this podcast internationally or, uh, or whoever domestic. comes to mind well the coaching level for sure who could give you a, a american but also international aspect uh, perspective is, is armin augenthaler like that from a coach side as an athlete i would say yeah susan dunkley i think could be could be good Mm -hmm. Because she has also, you know, I would call it maybe 
some holistic ways of uh, looking at her career, yeah. but also things she does outside the sport. Because I, I think it could be could be fun, yeah, to have uh, sort of uh, well, being uh, North American based for you both. Yeah. To, yeah. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you know, Tim Burke um, could be good. He's now the the junior development coach for the U.S. Mm-hmm. And uh, and another one that's actually his wife, who if you want someone in the perspective, uh, former very uh, successful athlete, of course, but now also the wife of a coach, mm-hmm. and um, and they they were you know already together as athletes, and uh, and she's also doing now a lot of motivational lectures or uh, blogs um, that would be uh, Andrea Henkel or Andrea oh, yeah. Burke. Yeah. yeah. Uh, th- that could be maybe someone really good too. That'd be interesting. But also with her because, German uh, there, There's also maybe some historical aspects and yeah. still connected to today and, and having mm-hmm. made a move, you know, a comparison between, let's say, Germany and, and the U.S. And, um, mm-hmm. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I had her last year doing a, a little talk for our juniors just before World Junior Championships, and it was quite oh, good wow. in the way of uh, her telling her story. And yeah, and, there's you know, a, a over setbacks and get back on it. And yeah, there's a, a German show which I'm sure you're familiar with. That was uh, this guy that visited former athletes. Um. Oh like yeah, 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 and everything, and and I think yeah, she was one of the. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I know him. He did a little story here about me too in uh, in Kenmore oh, okay. when they had the last World Cup here. That uh, he's uh, doing really neat uh, little uh, stories. Okay, um, then we have what we call the spotlight moment. So this is anything you want to mention where people can find you, um, where they can find your article. If you want to share anything else, this is your your moment. I mean, you, this whole episode has been your moment because it's been yeah, fantastic exactly. to having you on. So, say that, um, and they find me in Kenmore. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, up at the, the biathlon site, and um, yeah, uh, not much more, I think, to say. <laughs> okay, no, that's perfect. Well, thank you so much, Matthias. Uh, I've always enjoyed our our shorter chats uh either on email or when we see each other in in camera but this was really uh eye-opening and and really really interesting and i really appreciate your time yeah i i really uh thank you for the invitation too because you know it's also need to reflect this is opportunity to reflect a little bit on when you ask questions and i talk about it you know usually i yeah, I don't do that, but it makes me think and reflect on myself and, and on the sport. And so I, I think this, uh, I thank you for the opportunity. Oh, oh, really enjoyed uh, you doing a, a great job also in the way of um, organizing this and, and uh, the questions you have. Um, I, I don't know what your audience is. Maybe you have a, a better idea, um, but uh, <laughs> You know, I, I hope it's it's uh, interesting, um, especially you mentioned you, you actually have international audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of kind of all over the place, hey, Jordan? So, it certainly is, yeah. yeah. We, we definitely have a, a strong uh, American and Canadian base, but right. um, we actually have a, 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 a pretty strong following in, in France and Germany and, and Sweden as well. Right. But uh, yeah, I mean, we have people listening from all over. It's It's been pretty amazing to, to watch it happen. Yeah. So, yeah. What? No, the, uh, and- as I said, you know, at the time that we had such a, a huge um, German fan base and uh, because, yeah, it, they're so enthusiastic that uh, they're interested in other nations. And yeah, uh, even um, well, it was maybe because he personally knew me and uh, and could also make maybe a little story of uh, German coachings in a different country. But uh, it was also one of the Eurosport um commentators he almost every every uh session we we actually had some really good commentating about okay. the canadian team <laughs> <laughs> so it's yeah it's nice when uh, when you're not uh, a foreigner so, you know 
being yeah. there over in yeah. Europe that actually the athletes are getting good attention. Uh, well, obviously when there is good results for sure, but but also yeah, uh, there was interest and then Canadians had a story, and um, and that's also why I believe. There, there could be ways to find sponsors. And maybe if it's not in North America, you find them in Europe. Right. There's right, companies yeah. who, who are represented here and there. Um, but, right. um, Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks again. Thank you so much yeah. for coming on. It was it was great to get to meet you. And uh, I, I this has been I know we've been talking for a little over two hours now. And I, I honestly, I could keep going for a while. I, I, I really, really appreciated it. I don't know whether you come, uh, you know, up here at some point, but uh, yeah. it would be nice to get you both out and maybe try a little bit biathlon with with uh, my team. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, you'll, you'll have to be patient okay, with me. <laughs> anyway, but um, uh, yeah. I don't know, Jordan, whether you have tried it before or. Uh, I I I have uh, cross country skied, but that's about it. Uh, I have never the the shooting would be all new to me. Our anyway. plan is uh, for the the women's World Cup when that's coming back to Canmore. Yeah, yeah. That uh, that Jordan's coming over here and uh, yeah, we'll maybe do some Absolutely. live interviews. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, for sure. Uh, if if you're up here, uh, both. I mean, RJ, we will see us. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, more often, but um, yeah, Jordan, if yeah. you if you come up here at some point, uh, yeah. I I am positive I will be absolutely. Yeah. Great. All right. Thank you very much. And uh, for our listeners, um, as usual, if you want to reach out to us, you can either reach us on Twitter or uh, email us at the Panel de Loop podcast at gmail.com. Thanks.